Has AI finally arrived in software development? That's what some industry watchers are saying, and not all of them are happy about it. Uh, an open AI ChatGPT has been a water cooler topic for weeks now. ChatGPT is a what in quotes, a powerful language model developed by OpenAI that is capable of generating human-like text in real time. And I know this because ChatGPT told me so. It could potentially do your homework for you, improve customer service, or even write your code, which could have a host of implications for cybersecurity and the way enterprises do business today. I'm Ken Cadet, and this is the Entrust Cybersecurity Institute podcast. And today's focus is the cybersecurity implications of AI-driven software development. With me today uh, is our brain trust from Entrust, um, Anadeep Parhar, COO for Digital here, and um, three members of our software leadership team, Greg Wetmore, Tushar Tambe, and Gufran Makboob. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Let's start with Greg. Um, as one of our software development experts, what's going on with AI and enterprise software development? Well, AI and software development has rocketed right to the top of the hot topic list that's being discussed, both in the open source world and the, at commercial software companies. Um, that activity really was caused by the launch uh, by Microsoft of a feature called GitHub Copilot. Um, now, they launched in general availability in the middle of uh, last year. Um, but over, even just a couple of months ago, they announced broad support for Copilot in the most popular IDEs, and they announced a, a licensing model or a licensing program for commercial software companies. So GitHub Copilot is what they call an AI-powered care program, and it can do some pretty amazing things. Um, if you imagine a software developer working in their development environment trying to accomplish a particular task, Copilot can kind of pop up and kind of figure out what that developer is trying to do and suggest even a whole block of code that kind of finishes what they're doing, sort of autocomplete on steroids. Even more amazing than that, though, you can ask Copilot just using natural language. You can sort of ask it, specify what you want it to build, a software module, even a whole program that acts on certain inputs, does some behavior, and creates certain outputs. It really is pretty amazing. Um, Copilot is, is powered by the GPT-3 AI model or AI engine uh, that was uh, produced by the OpenAI company. It's the very same AI model that's underneath ChatGPT that you, you introduced in, in the intro there. And ChatGPT is, of course, exposing the world to some of the amazing, incredible things state-of-the-art AI can do. Um, so if we take the discussion back to software development, there's there's some definite benefits here. Um, Copilot promises to um, make development more efficient, um, re uh, automate repetitive tasks. Um, you know, maybe developers don't have to go in and read API documentation to sort of learn the minutia of a given interface in order to use it. Um, and ultimately, you know, potentially reduce the level of expertise required to get a task done, or allow tasks to get done faster, make companies more efficient in their engineering. The flip side of that, though, is we're really starting to talk now about some of the risks or some of the negatives that are attached to uh, AI-driven software development. And two that stand out in the discussion so far are legal concerns, legal issues, and security issues. So, so what are we what are we seeing so far? I mean, it, it sound, I, the issues sound incredibly wide-ranging at this point. Um, what what are some of the legal issues we're we're seeing already? I, I I've, I've seen uh, I've seen word of some lawsuits already with uh, regarding GitHub and 
ChatGPT, right? You know, describe that a little bit. Are these, you know, copyright or are they security related? So uh, Copilot was trained on essentially all of the public um, projects inside of GitHub. And for the most part, that's open source software. Uh, and so essentially the training model has been built up with all of this um, public domain software. But that software is, is released under licenses um, and, and has copyright attribution and requirements to um, satisfy those licenses if you're going to use that open source. And what um, sort of some of the early adopters have found is that when they create software using uh, an AI engine like Copilot, um, blocks of code come back that match pretty closely open source projects, for instance. So in November of last year, um, a couple of a law firm and a software author uh, launched a class action lawsuit alleging copyright violation. Um, so there's definitely some legal issues around attribution that are um, currently being discussed uh, and probably need to get resolved before we see real broad adoption of AI-driven software development. Well, let me ask some other members or like talk to us members of our software team like like Tushar, I mean is this a is this a cause for excitement or concern when you see all this uh, the introduction of AI into software? Uh, I, I think there's a little bit of both. I think you know as most companies are doing, especially after they have heard uh, this lawsuit became public, there is concern that you know if your developers are just using this tool willy-nilly, uh, they are possibly bringing in uh, insecure code or code that you know you can get into legal trouble for using, uh, right? So I think there's a lack of appropriate guardrails around how this technology can be used, uh, and those guardrails are we still seeing the process play out. Uh, you know, there's there's examples of you know the initial the technology is great. You know, I was reading somewhere that you know they they the Parallel with Napster is very interesting because the technology was there to bring all of this uh, music and uh, all these the media for to a lot of the people's who people who are really um, you know interested in consuming it. But the way in which it was brought about was essentially illegal. Uh, and then those models evolved, uh, where people figured out the right way to share, attribute, and reward content creation. Uh, and now we have, you know, uh, Spotify and iTunes and, and the equivalents, uh, or uh, Apple Music and the equivalent. So something similar needs to happen over there. It's exciting that there's this ability to uh, create this much code um, uh, so quickly. Uh, how we use that tool is something that we'll see play out over time, and people will develop best practices around it. And what do you think, Gufran? Is that, uh, do you agree with that? Is that a uh, what's your perspective on it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, like this technology is already out there and adoption of this technology is is really, it's inevitable, right? This is this is not, it's not coming in the future. It's already started. Uh, and so really, you know, we need to embrace it, but, you know, we need to embrace it with care, right? We need to make sure that we are uh, being careful about the security and legal aspects of it and those guard rates, uh, guardrails, as Tushar mentioned, they will come, right? Like if we look at this technology fundamentally, right? I think the whole reason we're having a lot of this discussion is because it's for the first time an artificial intelligence, which is learning from others and providing output, right? 
Uh, if, if you consider, like, if I if I go to college and I learn pro from professors, I learn from examples of code and so on, and then I use that knowledge to produce code, which may, you know, perhaps be similar to examples that I learned from, I don't think anyone would have an issue with that. That's how human beings progress, is by building on knowledge from previous generations, right? From previous work. I think a lot of the excitement is, is the for the first time, we have an artificial intelligence that's actually doing this. Uh, and perhaps, for sure, you know, some of the knowledge that it's learning from and regurgitating is not being attributed correctly. Uh, so, so that's definitely something that needs to be fixed. But it's exciting. This is going to be uh, perhaps one of the biggest uh, game changers, not just in, in software, but overall for, for humanity. Yeah, definitely a lot of excitement around this. Um, you know, Anadeep, from your point of view, like, um, you know, when you start to think and ask questions to people about, you know, what is this going to mean for enterprises, for example, um, and, you know, how to think about security for it, I mean, how, how will you start to think? How do you start to think about cybersecurity implications of this kind of software development? What kinds of questions are you going to be asking? I think there is a, you know, there's an interesting question, you know, even sort of piggybacking with what the guys were talking about, right? You know, you, not a legal expert, but you can certainly see that there are some legal ramifications. You know, you know they will they will sort of flow into the enterprise world as well. So in my mind, I separate the conversation into a couple of different things. There's a technical conversation around sort of the quality of content that's being produced. And if with that content, if there is issues from uh, uh, you know, from a technology perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So let's come back to that in a second. But another way of looking at it is just kind of looking at the, say, the problem, so to speak, you know, sideways. I don't think Chat GPT is going to be free forever. So I think it's going to be sold to you through a tool. It's kind of like Visual Studio produces a lot of template, you know, boilerplate code for you. And that's sort of covered under that, uh, that licensing mechanism. I think that's sort of the natural end for this thing is that it will, it will become sort of the Uber assistant, Uber boilerplate code, which can be done, uh, which can be created. And if you go far back enough, that's the entire evolution of the integrated development environment is that, you know, and I don't want to date myself. I still used to program 8086 chips, you know, which had, like we had to hard code assembly, you know, now when the IDs were built. And the multiple generations of languages, you know, fourth generation languages, etc. You're gonna see. I think this becomes the next generation of, of writing code. But from a legal perspective and enterprise perspective, I think it's gonna be really hard to put controls and around saying, are you plagiarizing the code or not? It's very hard to do that. I'm sure somebody will will, will try to try to put some technology to to find out if it's being plagiarized or not, or, or you know, it is being unattributed. Uh, what I think where it's going to be is for 20 bucks a month, you can buy a license and uh, all of our developers can produce as much code, code as they would like. And probably they can subscribe to set up. You know, if you look at the even OpenAI and chat GPT structure right now, you can subscribe to domains. You can pick which domain you want to use to create content. So I, on one hand, I'm really sort of all, you know, at all with what, Chat GPT and OpenAI guys are thinking about, they're putting domains in place where you say, use this domain to create content. And like Greg was saying, you know, the training of the said domain, et cetera. But anyway, practically speaking, 
I, I think the legal issues are going to go away because uh, I don't think we're going to use the open source version, so to speak, the free version of it. The the this you know this is your your typical freemium uh, model in uh, in action. You know we're going to get addicted to it, and then twenty bucks a month is going to be nothing. And uh, yeah. you're you're absolutely right, Andy. But they're already there. It's uh, the first one's free model, right? Uh, when it launched, you could freely use it, try it out. Now with the enterprise licensing, it's ten bucks a month for software companies. License for every one of your developers. They're right there. That's absolutely the the thought process here is how to generate revenue off off of the AI capabilities. So you're you're right. Other pieces like you know, I think and this kind of gets into uh, in the interest of sort of you know opening the conversation to new possibilities, so to speak, right? Either there was the you know the quintessential well, fifteen years ago the quintessential lawsuit who owns your tweet right I mean, when do you want you one year tweet you know who's who's the owner of that tweet because I wrote it is it mine is it Twitter's is it the public domains is it the group uh, that sponsored it etc so I think there are going to be some issues there uh, we had the same issue you know when the cloud started you know it, either you cannot you cannot sell in a multi-tenant cloud-based system. You cannot sell usage of an individual user, but collectively you can monetize the collective analytics and trends. So I think there's going to be some really, really interesting monetization models that will appear on this as well. But I think it starts as an assistant, uh, and uh, you know then there's paid models, and then there's going to be you know some of these other sort of monetization that will come out of it. I absolutely see that's the logical conclusion to this stuff. Uh, you know just. Either either build either building some code or or uh, like there was an article today that say it's like hey if I'm only using Chat GPT after three p.m. Uh, after ten p.m. at night because it's sort of fun it's it's a replacement or equivalent of a video but if I really need to bring it to the enterprise it's ten bucks a month and I think then you get a high quality better uh, attributed code and you, you can have uh, uh, you know ownership of the code as well so I think that's how I see it. In, in terms of the exciting usage of it, you know, uh, obviously it's been mentioned that just that as it can produce code that that turns out to be you know, unattributed and it's, you know, that's a problem. Uh, I believe it's also going to be pretty useful for spotting code uh, that is uh, plagiarized, right? And it could be a sort of pretty much uh, both for spotting code that is plagiarized as well as uh, checking code that has been developed outside of it uh, and providing you know feedback on it and kind of things that ids already do but at a you know uh, orders of magnitude better uh, level uh, the other thing that i wonder about is you know in large enterprises you know there's we, we've been talking about you know people they use chat gpt they could be using code developed somewhere over the uh, out in the world but there is a real issue of you know, in this within the same company, uh, there isn't as much code reuse as you'd want to be, and I wonder if somehow training this tool on a more local data set uh, will help us produce more re reusable code within groups within enterprises, which is goodness. And of course, you the company owns that code. The problem typically is that people, even within groups, will sort of write the same thing over and over in slightly different ways and more un unmaintainable ways. So it could help help us there. Uh, just several possible, very exciting possibilities. Yeah, definitely. I, I you know, so so I'm so I'm like 
you know, I guess for me as the non-software developer in here, I'm just wondering about the scary parts of this, right? So like, you know, are we worried, are we worried about AI developing software, if you want to put it that way? Um, are we worried about um, different kinds of vulnerabilities or new kinds of vulnerabilities being created? Are we, you know, and what is the concern about, you know, how bad actors are going to find their way into these things and find their ways to find ways to influence the cold code? I mean, is there a possibility of AI bringing back doors um, into the fray that people can find? I mean, what's where do you think things are headed? Yeah, that's absolutely part of the discussion um, and part of sort of the risks and downside that we're thinking about right now. Um, there's a saying, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, and all of these AI models are trained on data, massive amounts of data. Uh, and of course, that data potentially has defects in it, uh, even security defects in it. There's actually a study, it's, it's a couple of years old now, 2021. And so in the world of AI, that's a little, a little old, but it found that 40% of the programs that uh, were, came out of the GPT engine had design flaws or defects that could be exploited by an attacker. Um, and so it really, it, it puts more onus, I think, on developers and development teams to, um, to be able to oversee and, and think hard about the output of these AI engines and think about the secure coding practices and uh, follow their secure SDLC to make sure what they're producing is in fact secure code. The other piece of that, this part of the discussion is the, which you, you sort of hinted at right at the end of your question. You know, who can influence the um, the data that's being used, or the the AI model that's underneath these um, these tools? And so there's some discussion now about things like data poisoning attacks. Um, I think about a little bit like fake news, where you know you have these bots out there on social media platforms just spamming out all of this fake news stuff, and it it becomes part of the discussion in society all of a sudden. That same concept. You know, if we're training these AIs on all of this open source, all these open source projects, you know, you could have, you know, thousands or hundreds of submissions of potentially malicious code on purpose to influence the AI, AI models. So there's some real interesting discussion around security happening attached to this, um, the, this AI powered software development. I, I think one of the key things here is, you know, we, we've now got this wonderful tool that can spew out a lot of code in short order, and there are genuine security concerns around it. But on the security side of things, we don't have uh, the same kind of uh, tool sets available that can keep up, right? So, you know, organizations have always had v ways to, you know, vet and validate and, you know, uh, prove uh, their, their code before it gets put out, right? Uh, but those were based off of the previous uh, speed at which we could develop code, right? Uh, and now it seems like with this new technology, we can probably deliver and develop very, very fast. But, you know, I, I don't think we have right now the tools available to allow us to vet and validate the output of this uh, of these engines as fast as we previously could, right? So I, I think that's a key thing that will need to be addressed uh, going forward. I think you know, that makes, you know, that I think these are the issues that I think are going to get sorted out. In my mind, you know, you know, Greg, what you brought up, you know, the poisoning 
of the day. I think that's pretty massive. Uh, given even the last few years, we've seen you know state-based actors, etc., and the their reemergence of ransomware. All of these could be pretty pretty significant. And the dependence on the said AI increases. It is only as good as the model that's powering it. So you know, you know, what used to be when when decision control systems came out, whatever, five, ten years, ten years ago, uh, the issue was with the bias in the data. And now here, you know, the upside for the bad actor is huge if they can, so to, so to speak, put a bias in the corpus of the data that's 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 powering the the AI. And and because of the the ease of use, I think the controls up front are going to be very minimal, which is, you know, people are going to be just using it as it comes out without having appropriate controls. Uh, and, you know, so, so that's one of the biggest things that I, I see from, a, uh, from a, you know, just poisoning of this, the data. This. The other piece is, they, and this is more of a philosophical conversation, right? You know, the part of open AI that's interesting is, you know, of course the AI, but the open part, which means is, it's only as good as it's open. If you say, you know, we're going to have an enterprise version of OpenAI and it's only based on the corpus that, for example, our company produces, it, it sort of limits the, the creativity or the value it provides, but it can provide a high risk. Oh, sorry, a lower risk one. Uh, but if you, you get, if you want the benefit and you open it up, then all the risks comes in. So I think the cybersecurity models are going to have to so the change to address some of this, it's kind of like, you know, open source and steroids, you know, you have to figure out how to do this. I think the, the really interesting thing is for technologists like ourselves, and especially people who are in the cybersecurity business, I think it's a brilliant opportunity to sort of come up with not just organizational solutions, but also technical solutions, policy solutions. And so how do you manage some of this stuff? And I think there's a really, really interesting space. And I'd be really interested in sort of, you know, you guys' point of view of, you know, what kind of tech should be built to to help avoid some of this stuff going forward? So, so as, as we were talking about, you know, uh, poisoning uh, chat GPT, what came to my mind was, you know, in some ways, we've had a a new profession emerge over the last, a uh, new specialty emerge over the last 10 plus years, which is about poisoning Google. It's called search engine optimization. That's what you're doing, right? You're basically training and gaming that algorithm to promote your content to the top, uh, and that's valuable to companies. Uh, you know, people pay a lot of money for that. Uh, I, I'm not able to see what an equivalent, you know, can, other than for the bad actors, right? What the equivalent in this world would be, but there seems like very quickly uh, uh, an emerging need to uh, to. So, you know, use chat GPT in a certain way or trains it in a certain set of data that it gets pointed towards certain results. Uh, the, 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 who the bad actors are, whether there's going to be, you know, a commercially viable, legal, um, you know, profitable way of doing uh, something equivalent to search engine optimization is not clear, but it's, I see it's sort of on the periphery somewhere. I, I think that's a really interesting point, Tushar. There's been like when when the the original sort of crowdsource Wikipedia type stuff came, the controls that were put around were more crowdsourcing and figuring out you know how do you put controls. And then you have the your SEO example, 
the entire ecosystem world, which sort of balances creation of new things like how do you how do you get more advertising or more clicks using SEO plus the corresponding controls. I, I think this uh, is going to be exponential. Right? This is going to be exponential. Uh, and, and then you know, the, from a security perspective, it's one of the interesting sort of question comes to mind is that you know a while back there was a study in this you know. Greg, you'll, you'll enjoy this, right? When when quantum and post-quantum was coming out, it was really interesting. There was a either MIT, I think, did an experiment where they were trying to get one AI to hack another AI from an observability point. They wanted to sort of just figure out if you could actually do that. I think there is, gonna, there is a whole market to be able to say, how do you build AI models which can create controls to secure your ecosystem, so to speak. So I think there's going to be some really, really interesting things that will come out of this. Again, what, what, what else? Uh, you know, from a, from a layman's <laughs> perspective, you know, I, I think I think we should uh, we should probably talk about some of that stuff as well. Is like, you know, how do how do sort of organizations think about this stuff? Or what kind of an option we should have, right? And you know, should people jump all in into those? You know, how do we go about that? How do we go about that? I don't have a particular view on it right now. I think about it as more, hey, it's really interesting. It's, I think the upside is huge, but, you know, I'd be interested in Greg Gufran and Dushar, your point of view, saying, you know, how should organizations go thinking about it? Should we just try it? Should we, uh, what should be the option model, so to speak? Yeah, I, I agree with Gufran here to, to sort of think about this as an inevitable uh, technology that's going to provide a, a significant, massive even benefit over time to technology companies. Um, I also agree with Tushar's um, thinking around guardrails. We're definitely early with this technology and probably a little bit too early to sort of blindly adopt this into commercial software development. Um, but I, I believe the development will happen quickly around the guardrails and around the mechanisms that allow commercial software companies, even cybersecurity software companies like us to be able to leverage uh, AI in our development process. I think that makes makes a lot of sense, and it sounds like we're 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 in this sort of wild west time, and we're moving toward adding the necessary guardrails and friction that will make this more secure and more manageable, and in the end, more productive and faster for everyone. So yes. let's let's end the conversation here, and and hopefully we'll come back to this one. Uh, we'll come back to this one soon. Let me just throw it out to everybody. We'll kind of go around the horn a little bit. Um, just looking broadly at um, AI technology and where it's headed, um, you know, thinking about like what uh, leaders and IT security, but in general, business leaders should be thinking about in terms of AI technology. Um, what are some what are some questions you think people should be asking, or what or uh, um, what is your prediction on what's going to happen next? Maybe Gufran, let's start with you. Sure, absolutely. I mean, the one thing that that struck me uh, with, with this technology is, yeah, we're still you know a short while away from wide widespread adoption and so on, but it is coming, right? Uh, which means we have very little time to prepare, right? So obviously, you know, we we need to be working on on the tools to make sure that we can vet security and so on. But the other big challenge, uh, more generically, is okay. So it looks like we we now will very soon have tools that can do most of your day-to-day -day coding for you, right? Um, and so what that means is, how do you upskill your workforce? Because most of what people are doing today 
maybe 60% of it, 80% of it, I think, you know, that that's not clear how much yet, right? Can probably just be automated and, and, and generated automatically, right? Uh, and so only the tough problems, right? The very, very difficult things will need human intervention. Um, and so, well, how do we make sure that we have that workforce ready to attack those more difficult problems? Yeah, great point. Tushar, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point uh, that Gofran made. I mean, I think uh, I find myself sometimes looking at what schools, how schools are reacting, right? A lot of the software development that's being taught over there and how they are being, they are reacting to the presence of chat GPT. Uh, and I found this uh, interesting, uh, you know, set of instructions to the class that a, a professor at Wharton gave. Now, this is more about, you know, language and so on. It's not exactly coding, but uh, the instructions are good. And uh, it says, you know, to his students, the memo says, um, be aware of the limits of ChatGPT. Uh, if you provide minimum effort prompts, you will get low quality results. You need to refine the prompts in order to get better and better outcomes. This will take work. Then it says, don't trust everything it says. You know, so there's things like that where which, which we need to teach, you know, students, computer science students as well as developers about how to effectively use it. We talked about the guardrails, but there's also the scale about how to better use it uh, to get best possible outcomes from it. And I think those things will should flow back into the way we are thinking about using this. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Greg, let's go over to you. Yeah, I, I guess I I follow um, or take take my uh, take my suggestion from the hyperscalers. Microsoft is investing with a B billion dollars in this. Google very recently came out and they called it a code red for their company, how important AI is to them. This is a transformational technology. It's probably going to touch businesses in all kinds of different ways, certainly cybersecurity and certainly software development. Anadeep will give you the last word. <laughs> it, it's, you know, hey, I agree with the guys. I think it's hard to add to sort of thought they put into it. So let me, let me try to come at it a little bit different way. Hey, so one thing I look at it is that you know, if we lens back out as as professionals far back enough, one of the things is I I, th I think we are already at you know you not to overuse the Gartner term to the peak of inflated expectations. Uh, I think the journey from there to the plateau of productivity is is uh, is going to have to go through cybersecurity. So it has to go through securing and making sure that it's usable. So, so that's one point that I look at it is that there's a lot of innovation outside of what's already happened that needs to happen to, to really leverage this. So I think there's an opportunity there that I see. And the second thing is more, more sort of philosophically speaking, you know, I think, you know, we, one of the things that I look at, you know, chat GPT or open AI, it's interesting This for the first time, uh, I see a lot more people were surprised the people I speak with less so with the content generation, meaning, you know, even code generation people were okay with that. You know, hey, I'm old enough, and we used to build yet another compiler, compilers, and all the other stuff, right? So I think these things can be done. But what really flabbergasted a lot of people was it automating and artificially creating uh, uh, a creative stuff. It actually getting into almost like cannibalizing the creative and the knowledge workers. That's, I think, the, the social impact and the organizational and the enterprise impact is going to be pretty amazing because as as, a, as engineers and as technology professionals, I don't think we are used to 
being sort of at the receiving end of automation. We are usually at the giving end of the the the, the automation, so to speak. We automate other tasks, but for the first time, you see, oh, the, the tasks that we perform are being automated. But I'm still bullish. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, innovation left. I simply subscribe to the technology, you know, and all the technology that's been built out of the the age-old adage. You know, this is the extension of hand philosophy. You know, my hand is still needed, but if I put a baseball glove or a baseball bat, I'm that much better at the sport, man. So I think this is going to really, really help us. That's how I think about it. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good place to leave it, and I definitely think this is a topic we'll be coming back to um, over the coming. If not, if not coming year or even in the coming months. So, um, you know, lots to watch in this space. So thanks for listening this month and see the show page for notes and links to our content. Our podcast today was produced by Stephen Damone. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for our podcast, do write us at cybersecurityinstitute at ntrust.com. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>